Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today. Absolutely. The winner of The Voice Season 24, Huntley. Huntley, thanks for stopping by. And uh, it's got to feel so real to be the winner, right? It's a Hey, muscle. what's up, guys? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is surreal. Um, I haven't really been able to go and celebrate with my family yet, so I, it's it's crazy, man. Like I, I can't. It really doesn't even feel like it's happened yet. I keep on opening my phone and just seeing on Google like all these articles, you know, the Voice season twenty four winner, and just seeing my picture and how surprised I looked. And I'm just like, did that happen? It's like it's insane. <laughs> For sure. Go ahead. Oh, that's totally crazy. <laughs> hey, real, two two real quick questions, just out of curiosity. When did you decide you wanted to be on the Voice, and when did you decide that you were going to win the Voice? Um, I would say, you know, uh, the way I was discovered uh, was, you know, through a video that I had 500 views on, you know, and um, I I've tried so many times to get on, on these shows and, you know, I've had some success, but never aired or, you know, uh, you know, I never got any airtime of me playing. And, you know, this this time, you know, I actually was semi discovered, uh, you know, actually by one of the casting people who said she's never had someone make it, you know past the blinds and you know and that's what she's told me and uh you know it, it's it's been a pretty crazy journey since then and um i not one step of this way did i ever think that i was winning this thing dude really like, i mean i don't know if you've Ooh. watched this season like, like if you actually have or if you're just seeing the, who the winner is but this whole season has a way bigger story and way bigger picture to it than just me winning um i mean the talent the level this season was unbelievable so i am very proud that i did win this season because the amount of talent that was here was, I mean, crazy. I mean, you I know, can't and it's interesting it. to give people not to give up 500 views. You know how many people want to go viral social media wise? I'm going to ask a social media question now. That's this is the, the fun thing about, you know, interviewing somebody and hearing what question, how they answered it. 500 views. A lot of people give up, right? In their music, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, am I ever going to go viral? Anything going to happen? I don't even want to know how many views you have now, man. We're not going to even yeah. talk about it, Mr. I mean, Virality, I, but yeah. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I literally was, I mean, I, you know, I, I would say I'm old, but I'm definitely not TikTok generation, you know, worthy, you know, and I feel like, you know, I try to get on a TikTok and, uh, which I felt silly doing, you know, just because I'm such an old soul that I like, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more the touring guy and writing music and getting into the studio guy. But the whole social media TikTok world is just something that like, I'm just not, you know, a Jackie Roar always makes fun of me. And she says, my phone's always dead that I hate my phone because I, I am that guy, you know, but uh, I try to get on TikTok and I was getting 50 views a video and I had a thousand one hundred and eleven people. Literally, that was my number before I started this and now I'm up to I think 174,000 on TikTok right now and my <laughs> views are having like millions of views and it's like I've never really been like a you know oh I got likes or I got views but the messages from people saying how inspiring this whole story has been for them and how they're watching it with their sons or their daughters or their son has long hair and he just likes to wear it you know, long that you make him feel like he can be proud of his hair, like that kind of stuff just resonates with me, man. You know, it's okay. just like, it's way bigger than just me winning the voice. You no, know, it's amazing. Hey, Greg, I want to bring up, did you know I had long hair before, Greg? You did not have any yes, hair. I guess I did long hair. I'll have, to, I'll have to send you pictures of my days in professional wrestling when I had long hair. Yeah, I had to see that. Undertaker and stuff. So, but guess what happened? Speaking of professional wrestling, I feel like they've been trying to get me a WWE contract this whole time. <laughs> he calls me, he calls me the Undertaker. I think uh, he called me another wrestler name. Uh, I can't remember, but then they had the Triple H in the background. <laughs> I was oh wow! Like, so I, I'm a former minor league pro wrestler. Might make is looking to make a comeback in 2024. I'm 50 years old, will be 51. But I wrestled with The Rock. I wrestled with the Bushwhackers. I wrestled with the Headbangers down south during the Attitude Era. Oh, so you're a pretty big guy. How tall are you, Huntley? And then I'm going to let Greg have his next question. Yeah, um, I'm 6'3". So okay. that's why I thought it was pretty funny that he said I'd be Undertaker and he'd be Rey Mysterio because we also <laughs> connected to that. We both were early wrestling fans growing up. I was a big wrestling fan. Hulk Hogan was my guy. Oh, I wow. still have his stuffed animal, like the big version of him. Oh, awesome. oh that's crazy. Well, but, hey, before I get to the next question, Neil's a legit 6'10". Just yeah. want to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're 6'10"? Yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> that's so uh, awesome. 
But let me right. ask you, you know, in, in the knockout round, Huntley, you know, you picked uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, John Bo and Jovi's uh, take on that. And uh, what made you pick that song? And, you know, tell me about that. You know, if I was going to be honest, you know, they asked us to pick songs, you know, that, you know, that we wanted to do. Uh, and like we had, like, I think it was like five song choices. And I, I, I honestly, uh, I think that I'm more of a songwriter and I like recording songs like, you know, that I write that the cover songs, I felt so weird picking uh, like songs to do. Like I felt like I was having the hardest time. And um, honestly, I was going down the list of songs they had cleared for the show. And uh, I got to, it was the last song that I put on my list. And uh, I, I for, as soon as I played the intro and that guitar went on, I mean, my buddy Bias, who was also on the show, looked at each other and I was like, I have to put this on there. Like, this would be so cool if I did this before even I, you know, I, of course, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, bon, you know, Bon Jovi, but like, I've never sang the song before ever. So the fact that it and then, of course, the one song I didn't know that I put on the list gets called that I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I was like, now I can't sound karaoke on it, you know, so. Yeah, wow. you crushed it. Yeah, I, yeah, my family in Jersey, my family back in Jersey that, you know, my mom's sides all from Jersey. They were pumped. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, and when you talk about that and picking a song and singing another song, what are your what are your goals music wise? Where do you want to go from here after winning it? You know, I, I think, you know, I did showcase that I could do a lot of different styles of music. You know, uh, I definitely would really like to release, uh, you know, music as soon as I can. Uh, but touring, you know, maybe with an act that already has a staple, you know, kind of I would like to learn, you know, first, you know, I, I'm kind of coming in this as like, you know, a 33 year old rookie. And I just would love to kind of learn first and then just add it to my knowledge that I've even gained here on the show and seeing what really it means to put on a show. And I think that they've shown me what a Huntley show looks like, especially that mm -hmm. last one you know, getting shot up to the ceiling by some rockets and like, you know, having the whole band up there and the backup singers. And, you know, uh, I, I think that it's really important to me to, you know, I to rebirth rock and roll a lot. You know, I know I played a lot of those like commercial songs, like Way Down We Go and Daylight, but I think that like, I really do want to bring some real rock and roll back first. Mm -hmm. Like, I really want to bring some like, like, you know, even though I had that Southern, you know, grit and growl in my voice, it can kind of be added to any genre of music. And I think that, you know, people are dying for some rock and roll, not just here in America, like all around the world. And that's just what I've noticed from the support that I've gotten. Well, who are your favorite rockers, you know, growing up or uh, listening to now, or who do you go back to? Um, I'm definitely um, a lot. I'm really kind of stuck in the past, uh, but definitely Chris Cornell, Joe Cocker, um, uh, you know, definitely Lenny Kravitz. Uh, I mean, Sebastian Bach. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of guys on that list that, you know, you know, Steven Tyler, he was my very yeah. first big no, but Steven Tyler, uh, I, I mean, that guy definitely influenced me a lot, but I, I would say really, uh, you know, I've always just been drawn to the feeling of a song and I've never really been obsessed with any singers. I've never been like, Oh, I'm going to try to sound like that guy. It's just like, it's the way I sing and the guys that I've grown up to loving. I think they definitely influence my voice. All right. So Greg has a question. He asks all the celebrities and I'm, I now you're probably saying I'm a celebrity. You are a celebrity now. <laughs> so there you go. But go ahead, Greg, with your question. All right, Huntley. It's, uh, it's been amazing talking to you and, uh, and thanks for taking the time to stop by here at celebrity news live from the grotto. And uh, tell me, what is the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? That family comes first, no matter what. Cool. Powerful and, answer. That's a powerful yeah, answer. Very powerful. Can you give us a little bit of the why? Because no matter what's going on, like I'm on a, right now, what I accomplish is so amazing, but it's a TV show, man. You know what I mean? Like my career is going to be amazing, but you know, at the end of the day, if I don't have my daughter and my son and their families with me, like at the end of this, if I don't have my family with me, it's not going to matter, you know? And even sitting here at this hotel right now, and like I won, all my friends that were on the season are gone. All the voice contestants are gone and I'm here in this hotel all by myself. Like, you know, the main thing in life is that you find the things that make you happy in life. And if my family's not there and it's not doing justice for my family, then it has no business being around me. Well, we appreciate it, Huntley. That was so powerful. Greg, what a great uh, interview. Thanks again, Huntley. Best Thank place you guys. 
for you. Where can they follow you? Um, they can follow me at Huntley Music, H-U-N-T-L-E-Y Music on Instagram and Huntley Official on uh in on TikTok. All right. That was a special yeah. uh, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast to the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. Neil, I'm great. Nice to see you. And yes, I'm so excited. Barney, man, I've been waiting to talk to you. Barney Salzberg, who has written nearly 50 children's books, used to be a singing busboy. That's a story all by itself. But um, and a dog named Arlo. And I don't know if you can hear my Arlo barking in the background, but he is right now. <laughs> And I love the book that you brought back out again and that Arlo Wears Glasses. It's so good. Barney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love Arlo Wears Glasses. I've got a granddaughter who wears glasses. And man, when she first started wearing them, she was not happy about it. It made her feel odd. It made her feel different. And the way you put it, Arlo Wears Glasses together it makes you feel good about wearing mm. glasses. It makes a kid feel good. So thanks for doing that. What? Why did you write that book? <laughs> well, I have to say nothing about busboys because I did start off as a singing busboy, but I did graduate to becoming a singing waiter. Um, uh, I had this unbelievably beautiful uh, stuffed animal of a dog named Arlo, who was an 85-pound golden doodle before they became as popular as they were. And he couldn't catch. He just could not catch. And it was, you'd kind of want to, didn't know if you should be laughing or crying because it was funny and sad all in the same breath. Uh, but he just couldn't catch. And because I've been doing children's books for so long, I'm always thinking, is this something I can make into a story? And I immediately thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could give him glasses? And then as soon as I mentioned it to my editor, she said, this is the perfect book to introduce kids to the whole process of finding out they need them, going to the eye doctor and what that might look like. And uh, making it an animal is sort of one degree separated from being a human. And somehow that's an easier way to tell some stories. And I think in this case, having a cute dog go through the experience of being at the eye doctor was an, a, a, an easier way to get that across. So when did you first publish this book? The first time? This book? I, you know, I don't even know. I think it was 2012. It came out as an interactive book which is why it's so short. Interactive books are shorter than picture books. Um, uh, and it's also extremely expensive to make a, a, an interactive book. And they kind of decided that maybe we should just switch it over because the story was so important. They wanted to have it told and just to keep it going. And I'm so, I'm so happy that it's still here because a lot of times that doesn't always happen. So Arlo survived and yeah. it does work as a picture book. Yeah, I'm glad that Arlo survived because it, it does. It's it is a beautiful picture book that Thank you've you. done. You do your own art, and you're just so talented. You sing in the shower. You record in the shower. From what I understand, sometimes <laughs> I one song I did in the in the, in the, the water wasn't running. I wanted the echo of the shower. Um, okay. uh, actually, that was it was a song I wrote for Arlo Needs Glasses. You can find a video on YouTube with with the real dog, but that was the pop up book for that one, and I did record that in the shower. So you have good good uh, research on your part. Um, yeah, and this book was done as in collage, so I would draw the dog on a, a thicker like watercolor paper and then use an exacto knife and cut it out and then paint it and glue it onto backgrounds that i made so it has a different feel than a traditionally drawn book and it's got to feel great the feedback you get from this right the kids that are getting their parents talking about kids getting their glasses and then reading this book right the instagram messages i get from and photographs of kids holding the book wearing their glasses it's really really satisfying it makes me feel good that this kind of helped them shepherd them through there's a dog pun shepherd them through the process although he's a doodle um <laughs> yeah it's it's lovely lovely yeah yeah well I, I i would think it would be and it really is great but that's not the only great book that you've done you've done um uh, beautiful oops I love, love, love that. And now Melinda Gates, 
has endorsed that as one of the top three, I believe, yeah. children's books ever written by the hand of man. And that has got to be such an honor. What does that feel like? It was amazing. The day that that happened, I got so many texts and phone calls and emails from people really recognizing the power of someone like that, having that kind of feedback. Before Melinda Gates, though, I had met Jamie Lee Curtis in L.A., and she came to the studio to see what I was working on, and she saw what's called a book dummy. I can show you. Beautiful Oops was like this. It was what I drew to submit, and she was sitting next to me, squeezing my knee, going, this book is going to change your life. And she wrote the blurb on that book, and that, I think, helped give it more attention. And she was right. The book has changed my life. So, it is, yeah, it was, to be able to be your your thing, right? A children's book author. Not many children's book authors can say, "Hey, this is what they do," right? And that was a, that's got to be a dream for you to say, "Hey, this is what I do for a living," right? It, you know, there is not a night, even if I'm struggling on a story, that I don't go to bed knowing that I'm incredibly lucky. Uh, this did not happen overnight. I was a singing busboy and a singing waiter. I ran an art department in a factory wearing a mask because of this cotton dust from all the sweatshirts that they were doing. So it wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, this is what I want to do. And, and money started rolling in. This was a long process. But yeah, I've been doing it a long enough time now that I, I know I'm lucky. But it was not, wasn't luck. <laughs> it has to be in the right place, they say. Right yeah, place, well, right time. A lot of hard work. Yeah. Well, yeah. in your first book, I think you were like 26 years old when it came out. You which was, did you your know, homework. Yes. Ago, yes. And I'm turning yeah. 69 in April. Mm. So yeah. that's a couple years ago. Yeah. So. Couple, I say books were printed on rock in those days. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Interesting that you chose how did you choose to even write your first book? What was the question? What what inspired you to oh, write a children's book at 26 years old? I um, you know, I I've been writing songs. You can see there's a couple of guitars behind me. Um, since I was eight, that's just something. I mean, the Beatles happened, and I wanted to do that, and I started playing the guitar and writing songs. And I was studying art and music in college. And I, when I graduated, I saw a book by William Steig, who you know from Shrek fame. William Steig wrote. Shrek in his 80s, he started writing picture books at 61. And I found the, one of his books and I was so taken by the artwork and the story. And I thought, the story's so short, it's almost like song lyrics. And I like to draw. I got my degree in printmaking. And I thought, what if I put those two together? That's sort of a marriage of both of my loves of writing and, and, and I always say putting art to my lyric to my lyrics to my to my stories is like adding music to my lyrics there is a, a similarity in in what that does it 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 illuminates the the lyrics and the text um and so there's something really musical for me about the rhythm of a page turn and it's it's they're, they're really connected so it was a perfect synthesis for me to find picture books as a way to make a living and i'm not on the road playing in country bars which is something i was doing so i like being at home and getting to do this it's, it's yeah a, and so you've been doing it for so many years what advice would you give new authors that are trying to break out like you did uh, put your ego in a box and bury it in the yard because um, uh, you're going to have to and um, to read as much as you can and to be um, open to criticism, but also kind of um, consider what anybody tells you from an editorial position um, before you reject it or accept it. And it's it, there is a dance, but. There's also something called SCBWI, which is the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Join it and find uh, groups in your area. They're all they're international and and start working with other writers and, and have a, a critique group. So and have other people read your work to you and don't give up. Tim, you have your love question that you can ask. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a writer. By the way, mm -hmm. uh, I don't sing. People beg me not to, I think, actually. So <laughs> my kids did, at least. That's uh, a story wrote, right there. See, this is where my brain works. There you go. There the you kid go. kid who wanted to sing and everyone said, don't. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. So, um, but I, I spent a year trying to figure out the true meaning of love. I was in Haiti most of the time when I was there. And, and so I wrote a book on love. Love is, I learned a lot about love. And there is something special about your books that I think exude love. And I don't know if you if you feel that way or if that's something that you try to put into every book, but but it just feels that way to me. Mm -hmm. What it what is it? What is it for you? No one's ever put it that way. It's an interesting um comment to make and, and thought to have. Um I, I I'm not really sure how to even respond to that, other than I, I think it, it must be something that's coming out of me because I'm writing them and illustrating them, but I, I yeah, that's that's my personality. Um, might not be when I talk to people necessarily, but it's clearly coming out of my work. Uh, I think there's something so magical about kids. Um, I was just talking about my my grandson's about he's turning three this week, and and I've been reading to him since my daughter was pregnant. I mean, just you know, talking to the belly, and and. We ran out of books on his bed the other day, and I didn't want to get up, but there was a truck. So I read in the truck. <laughs> I just picked up the truck and pretended to turn pages on it and made up a story. And I just feel like that's just become so much, so intertwined with my daily life that I'm having fun, and it must come through in the, in the art, in the in the art and the story, hopefully. That's fantastic. Yeah. Best place people can find information on you and purchase all your books. Where can they go? Uh, my name, BarneySaltzberg.com shows all my books. I don't sell them from the site. I'm a huge believer in independent bookstores. If you live somewhere where you have one, support them. Even if you can save 10% going online, it's really nice to keep your mom and pop stores in business. Um, and there's independent stores online as well. And there's obviously the giants that we know about. Well, thanks Barney. We appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thanks and so much. You're doing Thank some great you. things for kids. Thank Take you. care now. Appreciate All right. You. That Bye. was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast. Guys, take care. Thank you. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Lefty. He's from Legacy Filmmaker. Lefty, thanks for stopping by. How did you start your whole filmmaking career? How did that, when did that start for you? Um, it started about seven, eight years ago, but I was actually born into a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, they were in radio and television broadcasting for like almost 40 years, kind of always had it in me. Um, but I like, you know, 2001, 2002 ish when, when radio kind of started to take a turn for the worst. Um, I didn't want to take that route. I was, uh, entering high school at the time. Happened to find my love and interest for house music, and I became a DJ, which led me to uh, become a music producer and then go off to actually like touring all over Canada, a couple places in the States and a couple places in Europe. And um, it wasn't until I met my wife, uh, I guess also seven years ago, where I wanted to kind of just stay home more. And I didn't want to be on the road. I didn't want to be coming home at like nine, 10 o'clock in the morning anymore. And I just realized I needed to shift one creative to the other. Uh, we were getting married at the time. So we were also like selecting vendors for our wedding. And uh, my videographer just happened to tell me that Sony is releasing a new camera at the time. And he goes, if you know, you want to be able to be with the big guys, let's call it but also give yourself an opportunity to learn and have a camera for the next, you know, seven to 10 years, you might as well just start off and buy this one that I'm recommending. So I did that. And uh, lo and behold, I'm here now. <laughs> so then that becomes filmmaker and you're award winning. How did, what did you get your award for filmmaking? Yeah. So I did, um, I did a project with Robert J. Moore, who's like, you know, a pretty successful entrepreneur and he wanted to do kind of like an autobiography for for himself through film. Um, and and it was kind of like an interview style, primarily documentary, but we entered into a bunch of film festivals. We won uh, five, five times we won Best Feature. I won Best Cinematographer. And uh, his company also awarded me with a, a Lifetime Achievement Award, which was really, really awesome. That's fantastic. That's a, that's an amazing uh the just in 7 years to where you're going in all this. And do you 
do a lot of other videography as well? Or are you focusing more on documentaries as your big thing you're doing? Yeah. So, you know, the cool thing is, is that um, documentaries also allow you to kind of be creative and open up into different territories. So, for example, um, you know, there there's certain instances where you might not have home videos from like childhood or teenage years or photos or anything like that. So I, I'm also opened to, well, at least my clients allow me to be opened enough to recreate certain scenes and, and create adaptations of like how we felt a scene went down, uh, which really gives that additional extra flavor to the films that we create. Or some of my clients also don't really want to be the stars. They don't want to be interviewed and be in front of a camera. So they'll actually give me uh, their story in which I just create an adaptation out of. Um, and then of course, you know, they approve the scripts and whatnot, but we're, we're, we're pretty much dead on most of the time. See, and, and that's an interesting thing. I think it's a big thing. It's telling your story. Uh, I own a publishing company, Hollow Man Publishing, and uh, yeah. I look at it multiple businesses and where I'm my career my, as an entrepreneur, but I look at specifically enough when you talk about stories, you can't tell your story unless you have something and, and, and putting it on, like I have all these VHS right now of my yeah. days in pro wrestling, the ones I was able to um, recover from uh, kind of a, I, a long story about recovering, but I recovered about seven or eight videos that I would want to probably put, create into a bio video. And you would be like that perfect candidate for that. And I'd like to do, I'm about to come back into the ring and maybe a documentary of following my progress and all that. Do you, pretty much are for your services. It depends. Do you have different models? Let's say if somebody wants to do a documentary, but they're going to raise the funds or do you help raise the funds and partner with them? It just depends on the project. Yeah, I think a uh, great question. I mean, it really just depends on the project, right? Um, I mean, we, we obviously work on, on the scope of the project. I don't, uh, I don't do really anything like cookie cutter. I don't have like set packages for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, there there are times where, depending on who I'm working with, they just self-fund the, the entire project or, or, you know, they do get some sort of sponsorship uh, money or they raise it or uh, the other option is, you know, collaborations. They'll bring other entrepreneurs on board in which they kind of have like a the same type of vision and mission. So they'll all kind of bring their expertise together. And that kind of allows everybody to kind of pool their resources together. Um, and and as, as well, the beauty about documentaries, right? It's not like, it's not like you have short form content where you're going to go to like a marketing agency and it's like, Hey, you got 30 days to pay me or like, we're not working together. Uh, well, that's so me. Sorry. That's me, yeah. but that's a marketing agency, but that's okay. But yeah, <laughs> I, I get it because you're seeing the long game. Like, yeah. let's just say this documentary gets sold, right? And it yeah. gets distribution. You're going to get paid really well longer term than just getting the shoot, right? So you see all those different things as uh, opportunities for you, right? In collaboration, yeah. pricing, things like that. Because let's just say it's a great documentary. Like, look how the whole thing, production companies got the Netflix thing for wrestlers, right? Yeah. It, it didn't happen overnight that it was going to Netflix, right? And I'm sure the production company got a good piece of the pie afterwards for this versus the beginning because- a lot of people don't have the ability to fund how expensive it is to do a documentary or do a docu-series, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you have to kind of be on a, you got to be a different level type of entrepreneur if you're going to do like a docu-series because I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're talking like six figure, maybe even sometimes seven figure salaries or, or, uh, jobs in in that regards um but you know typically typically the entrepreneurs that come to me you know we're either doing short films or we're doing features any anywhere between 15 minutes to two hours depending on the project but i know that I, i've noticed that like my sweet spot is like the 15 to 45 minute mark so what kind of explain real quick what a 15 to 45 minute mark would be 
Like, how would that, like, what, what what kind of story would you put together to create for that? That would be something that would go on YouTube and stuff, telling their story. Almost kind of like Gary Vee's bio video, Rich, which is about seven to eight minutes. Yeah. That's what some of these entrepreneurs want, right? In a way, like with all the 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 glitz and glamour of, you've seen Gary Vee's bio video. It's phenomenal. It tells this yeah. whole story and all these, and, and, you'll, and only someone could do and shoot something to create something that well. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really stems down. Like when I, when I go into any meeting, my, you know, I have two types of people when I go into meetings, but to talk about the one type of individual, my first question always is where do you want this to go? Like, where do you want this to live? What is the end result? Because if, if I'm gonna, if the person turns around and says, Oh, I want to be on a streaming platform or, or I want, you know, uh, some, video on demand or whatever the case might be. If they're looking at the larger picture, streaming platforms are not going to take a 15 minute film. Right. So it really, it really depends like that. That's the first question I ask, because if it's YouTube, that's a different story. We can work with like a 10 to 15, maybe even 20 minute film. But if somebody is looking for like a platform distribution, it's safe to give them something, you know, anywhere between 45 minutes and above. Are you looking ever to do feature films? If anyone asked you to direct or produce something? Always. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I just, that's, that's just, that's, that's going in my ear. You know, that's something that's good. That's why I reached out to you to have you on my show. So go figure. I'm uh, this is what happens with the media giant. He just comes up with something and says, Hmm, I got multiple ideas. Let me connect. Let's see. But I, there's so many people, especially authors I work with. And now our publishing company, they're going to put the, make it into a movie. And this is where you can expand your whole horizon and people are willing to spend the money for it. Trust me. But it's, again, it's a huge thing because video tells stories. People think yeah. short form tells stories. It <laughs> just gives you a tease, bro. It's because we're playing yeah. the game. Yeah. But the long game, the stuff that people are going to invest are going to invest in long form video. Bottom line. That's why YouTube's YouTube. You know, they put the shorts out there, but long form video is the way, way to go. If you don't, Forget about it. Where's the best place people can connect with you? I'm so glad to, to meet you. And definitely we're going to create some collaborations together, but where can people go? Yeah. I mean, uh, first and foremost, if anybody wants to find me, it's on Facebook. That's like my main platform where I do all like my social posting. Uh, Lefteris Kutinas is the name and it's the same exact name on YouTube. YouTube is my secondary platform where I'm pretty much putting out all my content. I've, uh, I've actively ditched every single platform other than Facebook and YouTube. <laughs> hey, you know what? See, it, the, here's the thing. It's because it's so much work. You have a niche cut clientele. You just need to be able to have your platform as a marketer and get them there. You're not looking to go viral different places because they're not your customer. They're not yeah. going to be able to shell out the kind of money that your clientele base is. And sure. I know who your ideal customer is. And uh, it looks like uh, I know a lot of those people. So I appreciate it, sir. Looking forward to some collaborations. I'd love to get you into the Hollywood scene down the line because of my connects. And I'd love to start making movies someday. And that's why, that's why I reached out to you. But I appreciate it, awesome. sir. And thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, how are you? I know you're excited about our, our guests, our, our show today. I, I'm doing great today, Neil. I've got these new glasses. I'm going to try them out and see how they how they work. But uh, hope everybody had a great Christmas. Looking forward to a new year in uh, 2024. But there's a lot of challenges ahead for people, and I want to talk about some of those today. Yeah, Alan, what you're talking about, the, our topic today is new rules for retirement planning, which is really important information that we're just going right hot off the presses. Alan, what are you talking about? Aren't we supposed to rely on the 401 Social Security and personal savings for retirement? The well, you know, Neil, the three-legged stool just doesn't work, hadn't worked in years. But the three-legged stool, when I was being brought up, it was a pension uh, that you got from a company because most of the people work for that company their entire life and they have received a pension. Well, guess what? There's only 19% of people have pensions now and 16% work for the government. But uh, so pensions are basically gone. The 401k, 
uh, that doesn't work. And I'll explain a lot of that as we go along. Uh, and then Social Security. We got huge problems with Social Security. And that's some of the things I'm going to talk about. But people need to have a new uh, thought about the retirement plan because the old plans just don't work anymore. What are some of the challenges you face in retirement right now? Well, one of the things, people, they've only got about, on the average, I think, $135,000 in their savings account or their 401k or anything else. That's not going to last but for a couple of years, even if that, and that's very minimal existence. Now, this is really scary. Healthcare costs, inflation adjusted for a couple is over $535,000 for out-of-pocket expenses that Medicare doesn't even pay for. Now, and something I, I, I dwell on all the time and I harp on all the time, taxes. Taxes are going to take out anywhere from 20 to 50% of your income from a 401k or any qualified plan or anything else, any type of income. And people think taxes are, are uh, they think it'll be in a lower tax bracket. Well, a lot of people don't realize, Neil, and I've gone over this before with you. Uh, January 1st, 2026, we're going to go back to the old tax rates of 2017. And some of the people in the 12% minimum tax bracket are going to 25% tax bracket, and they're not prepared for this. Their financial planners and their CPAs have not told them that. All the rest of the tax brackets are going up, but not over 100%. But people need to be prepared for this. And the other thing, as I said before on our program, Congressional Budget Office report last fall on a $31 trillion deficit, Neil. Uh, if we don't raise taxes overall by 66% by the year 2030, we can't even pay the debt. On, I mean, the interest on the debt, and the country will go bankrupt. Well, that's on $31 trillion. You know what we said at today? Over $34 trillion. And it's growing. Our unfunded liabilities are over $130 trillion. And I don't, people need to understand, I don't think they know how big a trillion is. If you had one second, a trillion seconds equals 32,000 years. That's kind of mind-boggling. Oh, it totally is. And uh, I mean, the debt, you're right, taxes going up. And and specifically enough, if you're not saving for retirement the right way, you're really going to be in trouble because how can you live off this, Alan? That's the thing. You keep mentioning like a million dollar stock portfolio. And it, how's that going to last you 30 years? Really? Well, at a 4% distribution rate, that right now, it used to be a 33 to 3% chance of failure over a 30-year period, now it's up to 50%. The actual distribution rate is 2.8%. But on a million-dollar stock portfolio, that's only $28,000. That's before taxes. But I want to get into that a little bit later. I want to go back to one thing, the Social Security. People ask me, well, I don't even plan on Social Security being around. Well, I'm sorry, but over half the people count on Social Security as their number one source of retirement. And uh, things have got to change because... First off, if you're living off Social Security, you're in poverty level. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Uh, also, you know, when Social Security, it's a math problem, Neil. When first Social Security was first enacted in 1935, it wasn't paid out until 1942. Life expectancy was 62 at that time. And, Neil, you couldn't take it till age 65. And the big thing, there were 42 workers for one individual. Now there's only three workers for one individual. And, and in seven more years, there's only going to be two individuals for uh, for working for one individual. And you can take it at 62. And our life expectancy for a man is 85. Eight, for a woman is 87. And if you're married, there's a 25, there's a 50% chance one of you will live longer than 90. And there's a 25% one of you would live, live longer than 95. So it's a huge math problem. But the government can fix it. It's not the Social Security that my father had. Is that Social Security used to not be taxed. Well... <laughs> Now, if you make more than $44,000 a year of outside provisional income, such as a uh, 401k, a pension, a stock portfolio, or anything else, and you're married at age 65, and you receive $3,000 a month of Social Security, 85% of that Social Security is going to be taxed. And what that does, Neil, that puts you right now in the 12% minimum tax bracket, 10.12 effective tax bracket, because we have a progressive tax system. You're paying tax to Uncle Sam over $6,000 a year. And people, well, I'm never going to have to pay. I've already paid taxes on my Social Security. I don't have to pay it again. Well, guess what? It wouldn't surprise me within the next couple of years, we're going to be paying taxes on 100% of our Social Security. You know, and, and, and that's that's crazy, Alan, for sure. Well, here's the other thing. 
going about this, uh, this 4% distribution rate, like I said, it's got a 50% chance of failure. That's one of the risks in retirement that people do not understand. It's called distribution risk. And, uh, you know, well, I've got a great stock portfolio of this, this, and this. I said, well, great. But a stock portfolio cannot mitigate or eliminate any risk in retirement. It only compounds. Think about this, Neil. What's the number one risk in retirement? What's the number one fear uh, in pe for people in retirement? You are, and you've always taught me this is running out of money before you run out of life. And that's exactly. Well, a stock portfolio cannot guarantee that you'll never run out of money. I mean, you, I've got so many clients that, 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 uh, that came to me. I mean, they were going to run out of money, uh, by 70, I mean, excuse me, 78 to 85. And I showed them a different way and give them guaranteed income. Even if their assets run out, they're, they're going to have guaranteed income for the rest of their life. Now these, these clients were, they were relying on a stock portfolio and I showed them if there was a, you know, a 10 or 15% down market, they've got to take a larger distribution rate. And what that's called is sequence returns risk. Many, many people don't know what that is. And as an example, if you're married in age 65 and a 4% distribution rate in a $1 million stock portfolio is, is a $40,000 a year. Again, that's not guaranteed. But if you have go to retire and you have a loss in the first three years of a 10 or 20 year period, as compared to the last three years of that 10 or 20 year period, what happens is you're taking a larger distribution rate out of a smaller asset. So as an example, the first year you have a 10% decline. So your, your policy, I mean, your account now is $900,000. Well, you can't get $40,000 out of $900,000 without increasing your distribution rate. And that doesn't include fees. And if it does that for two or three years, your, your distribution rate is going to deplete your, your retirement account in your 401k or stock portfolio or anything like that. And Neil, you wouldn't believe how many people, their financial advisors have never told them about sequence of returns risk. And I, you know, my thinking is, well, they get paid a fee whether the client makes money or not, but they're supposed to be fiduciaries and they're supposed to, to inform the clients about the risk in retirement. And there, there are, there are several, Neil, We've got like number one fear, running out of money before you run out of life, sequence returns risk, distribution rate risk, as I've gone over before, uh, long-term care risk. Uh, you know, if, if you pay for long-term care out of a stock portfolio, you have taxes to pay. Uh, longevity risk, which is a risk multiplier. Government and tax risk, which are absolutely huge. And the biggest thing too is market risk. Now, using the strategies that I propose, I can eliminate or mitigate all of these risks and guarantee people income for the rest of their lives if these financial products that I promote are financially structured properly. And you've got to have a qualified advisor to do that. And, and Alan, when you think about that, you've shown on many podcasts for people to go back through and listen to these podcasts. They'll see that what you broke down for risk of retirement, meaning specifically enough sequence returns risk, what it really could do to a stock portfolio for you or any of your investments and you could just be underwater and be broke for retirement. Bottom line, even though you put all that money and in investment in, right? Well, you know, Neil, as I've said before, we've been inundated by the propaganda of Wall Street that the only way to invest for your retirement is in a stock portfolio in your 401k or qualified plan. People need to understand a 1% fee in a 30-year period will reduce your income by one-third. And the average fee for a 401k is 2.99% across America. People are going to have less than half of their money. And as Tony Robbins said, and I got a short video by him, 58% of people don't even think there's a fee in their 401k. And as I tell people, and I ask them, I get a kick out of this. I said, it's really not a kick, but it's kind of stark in, in reality because I said, why do you invest in your 401k? Well, it's a tax deduction. I said, no, it's a tax compounder. And if you think taxes are going to be lower when you go to retire, I got mountains in Florida to sell you. I said, if you, I, I think people want to be in the same uh, standard of living that they are right now. But, you know, as far as deductions, you're not going to have your children. You're not, your house is usually paid for. Uh, you're not just different things. You're not going to have the deductions you had before, but just the things like I explained before, healthcare costs are extremely high. And long-term care, long-term care, Neil, 70% of all Americans are going to need long-term care at some point in their life. 
And long-term care right now costs between fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year. And if you've got a stock portfolio, and let's say your your wife's in there, and it costs a hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollars net. And I have asked this one guy. I said, "How much are you going to have to take out of that million-dollar stock portfolio to net a hundred thousand dollars at a twenty-five percent tax bracket?" I was being very kind to him. And so he said, "Well, one hundred twenty-five thousand." I said, no, why is that? He said, well, 25,000 is 25% of 100,000. And I told the gentleman, it doesn't work that way. If you took out $125,000 net 25% taxes, you'd only net $92,000. You have to take out over $137,000 of that stock portfolio to net $100,000 at a 25% tax yeah. bracket. It's crazy. People don't understand this. And that provided, you know, that's provided the market doesn't go down or anything else. You know, people just are not prepared for retirement. Now, with uh, things that I do, cash value life insurance, uh, whole life or index universal life, which I have eight, eight of these policies or fixed or fixed indexed annuities, I can mitigate or eliminate these risks. And people say, well, I, you know, I'm 60 years old. I'm too late. I said, I didn't start any of mine until I was 58 years old. I'm 70 now. And I didn't start mine until I've had, had some tragic things happened to my family. And I started finding out about cash value life insurance and insurance products and how they protect your family and also protect your assets. But I started mine at uh, age 58 and I'm retired military. My wife's retired civil service and I get social security. And yes, we got guaranteed income, but I want to live a better life in retirement because I've many things that people do. But let me tell you what, when you have grandkids, you spend a lot of money on your grandkids, whether you think so or not. And, uh, but uh, they're, I mean, the greatest joy in my life. But the thing is, people are not prepared for this. They're definitely not prepared for long-term care. All right. All right. So let's uh, jump to the last. What can we do? What can people do to prepare themselves for retirement? Well, they need to think outside the box, conventional financial planning. Stop contributing to a 401k. I mean, I want everybody to have a diversified portfolio. But as I said, the fees will eat up a 401k. And the only ones making money is Wall Street and your fee-based advisor. Uh, in, incorporate cash value life insurance, fixed and fixed indexed annuities. Because as an example, just like an annuity, uh, with certain annuity that I sponsored, you got a million dollars in stock portfolio, a 4% distribution rate. As I said, it's $40,000 a year. That's not guaranteed. You'd only have to have $650,000 of that stock portfolio to fund this fixed indexed annuity. And you have the same $40,000 a year guaranteed for life and I don't care if the assets run out. The insurance company are going to pay you for the rest of your life. And people ask me, Alan, how is that possible? I said, well, you know, insurance companies, uh, they've got it covered on both sides. If you live too long through annuities and or fixed and fixed index annuities, I don't deal in variable annuities because they have high fees and a tight market. And then uh, life insurance if you die too soon. And the big thing about life insurance companies, they manufacture mortality credits. No, no other financial vehicle can do. And I tell people, this is kind of funny, I said, there's only one financial entity that's stronger than insurance companies, and that's the U.S. government. I don't know how strong that is, but the only reason is because they can change laws and increase taxes and print money. But insurance companies have been around, Neil, for over 160 years, and they're the only financial company that survived the, the Great Depression and paid dividends through the Great Depression. And, uh, you know, I, I found this stuff out, and what I want to do, Neil, is educate people Again, to think outside the box, conventional financial planning. And just going back to that uh, $650,000, that dollars that you've taken out of that stock portfolio, you know, that leaves you $350,000 that you can pay the taxes on that and make it a Roth IRA. And what that does, Neil, there's no required minimum distribution. And if people don't know, do not know what that is, if you don't take out the money in a qualified plan, the government tells you by the age, by the age of 72, and that's only because of the SECURE Act that just took effect here the last year or so. It used to be seven and a half. It is a 50% penalty plus all the taxes. And people, a lot of people aren't even aware of it. They're 65, 70 years old. But, but the thing is, Neil, it's, uh, you're not going to pay taxes on Social Security or the means testing Medicare Part B, which will be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. People are not aware of this. Their CPA, I don't think their CPA knows. But the thing is, they need to be educated. People need to be, and this stuff is not college education. It's not rocket science. It ought to be taught in high school, but it's not. I've got doctors with PhD degrees in accounting and finance 
that have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, totally. Uh, absolutely, Alan. And I think when you look at all these different things, so stock portfolio, when you're what you have, you're, you have experts, right? So just because we're going to have cash value, life insurance, fixed and index annuities, you do want a stock portfolio as well. That's why you have a series of experts that are on your team, an expert on your team to help you navigate the entire financial world, right? Exactly. See, I used to be a registered investment advisor, Neil, where I got paid a fee whether I, uh, whether the client makes money or not, but that goes against my, my uh, personal thought, my personal beliefs. So, but I want everybody to have a diversified portfolio, okay? I have a team of people that I work with. If you want a stock portfolio, that's fine. You can work with these people. But I want the people to have a diversified portfolio. And I don't mean diversified in stocks. I mean diversified all the way across. You need a, a, a stock portfolio for to help you with get great gains, uh, guaranteed income to eliminate the risk in retirement, uh, tax-free income that people have no idea about. I want people to use their home that they paid for all their life to pay them tax-free income. People have no idea about how to do that either. I can show them. I have people on my team that will do that. But I, I collaborate with top CPAs, tax-specific attorneys, and other specialists in their field to provide uh, solutions for people's financial problems. Neil, what I do here at Strategic Wealth Strategies, I'm very, very passionate about it. I show people how to reduce and possibly eliminate both debt and taxes, possibly set them up with tax-free retirement. But a big thing I do, Neil, is I show people how to become their own financial institution where they can borrow from themselves and pay themselves back compound interest of compounds for them and not the financial institution and eliminate the effective interest costs they're paying on the money that they borrow. But one of the biggest things I do, Neil, like I just said before, is I can eliminate or mitigate the risk in retirement. Powerful stuff, Alan. Uh, best place people can go is email you at strategicwealth, the number zero at gmail.com, or call you at 910-551-1046. This is definitely a New Year's resolution people need to make. I can't believe we're talking about it. We've not even mentioned New Year's, but the next podcast we'll be doing is 2024. But ultimately, they need to take action now because we have no idea what's going to happen in 2024, as we saw a lot of changes in 2023. And it's, it's time for people to really plan the retirement in the right way, less risks, so they can enjoy the fruits of their labor instead of see their money go out the window. I absolutely knew. All right. That was the Strategic Wealth Strategies podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm excited to welcome Nobel Prize-nominated Dr. Best-selling author, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, thank you for your service, and I know you're excited about our guest today. Yeah, I'm very excited. You know, we have one of the superstars from Love and Hip Hop of Atlanta, Rennie Rucci. Thanks for stopping by, Rennie. Thank y'all for having me. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. Morning. And uh, go ahead, Chris, with your first question. Ah, oh, well, no problem. Well, you know, Rennie, Love and Hip Hop have a reputation for being dramatic. How do you navigate, you know, that environment while staying true to your artistic vision? Um, I don't think, I, I think it may look or seem dramatic to people who are not really in the culture or used to that type of atmosphere, but it's everyday life for us. So it's, it's not anything different. It's just a camera there. Really? And it's just, you're, you're tr did you try to say to your true self by ha having this opportunity? Oh yeah, I make sure when I when a camera is on me, I'm always 100% authentically me. It's no dramatics, no character that you jump into. It's just like your real life and and what you would really do. Good, Chris. Next question. Wow, interesting. Yeah, well, you know, we, you know motherhood. You know, it's a, it's a big part of your life. Uh, how do you balance the demands? You know, being a rapper and a and a, and a mother, um, a single mother. Okay, what are some of the lessons your son has taught you? Um, I think honestly, be, whether I was a rapper or if I was working a nine to five, I'd have the same obstacles to figure out and work through as a mom. So I think it's just like we all learn in life. It's no blueprint on how to juggle any of this. Um, so every day is a learning experience. I just make sure that I do right by my kids. I do right by myself. I put them first and, you know, I give them somebody to be proud of. You know, and that's so interesting when you talk about that whole process. It's just part of being, uh, 
nowadays, not just a rapper, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businesswoman. How much is that and so important? We you know with the being part of the show, you're a brand and how you utilize and maneuver through that brand. That's such an important part of it, right? You, so you have to be able to juggle so many different things because your family is a business of yours. It's, it's the personal business. And then you have the other business side of things. So it's constant, like it's a lifestyle, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, you just have to, you have to figure out what's important and, you know, make your priorities in that order. 100%. Go ahead, Kristen, your next question. Oh yeah, no problem. Well, you know, really, the music industry is notoriously male dominated. What challenges have you faced you know, as a female rapper and how are you working to uh, make space for other women? Um, I think the, the biggest challenge in the music industry is actually the industry itself. Um, it's a lot that goes on behind closed doors that people don't know about. Um, so when the fans are asking, like, why aren't you putting out music faster? You know, they don't understand. It's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So I feel like that's been the biggest challenge in my career. Um, and as far as, like, helping other women, I always make sure I'm looking for, like, the newest, hottest girls coming up and show love. Just spread their awareness about them on my platforms and reach back how I would have wanted somebody to do for me. No, that's, that's so, so, so important. And you're just constantly, you're, you're, you're carrying that baton, aren't you? I I do my best to try. And it's, it's gotta feel great, right? It's something that gets you up every day to want to go out there and do this. It's, it's gotta be a dream of yours to be where you are today. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I've, I, you know, they say if you can see yourself somewhere with something and it's already yours, you just got to go get it. So I already knew I was going to be who I am. I just had to do the work to come be here. 100%. All right, Chris, next question. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, you know, really, you've collaborated with several artists. Who are some, who are some of your dream collaborations you know, that you have not uh, realized yet? Um, my dream collaborations that I have not worked with yet would be Andre 3000 and Eve. How do you think you can make that happen? Getting it out there on the social media world, where do you think it, how it'll happen? Oh, well, neither of them really do music anymore, so it's a dream. <laughs> hey, but but see, but if you manifest that dream, it'll come true, right? You just got to write it down and yeah, say it's going to happen. At, it some will, point, will. At, at some point, you got to be realistic, too. Like, I know for a fact, these people, like, have done their work and they're enjoying their life, so I could just only, you know admired him from afar and wished that I could have got the opportunity. Um, but other than that, I want to work with whoever want to work with me, whatever is a good vibe and a good fit. All right. So let's talk about specifically what to expect in this new season. Well, what, what are people, what, without giving anything away, like what surprises for your fans? Um, I will, it's a lot more healing and positivity going on of course it's a little bit of drama in there but i think it's gonna be like a very refreshing part of the season for everybody ah, okay and what what do you think every time you know in that communication with fans that just watch the show versus your music what do you get kind of get that feedback between those two fan audiences because you have two fan bases for sure um I don't look at it like I have two different fan bases because I feel like my supporters support any and everything that I do. So they may not have been a reality TV watcher before, but they watch now because of me. Um, but all the feedback I get is always good. They're very supportive. And if I'm going through something tough, they make sure they're there for me. If I'm having a good time and, you know, excelling, they root me on. So, yeah, I don't I just got one big group of people who love love on me all the time. All right, well, fantastic. Uh, it, what, and where's the best place people can find information on you, Renny? Where can they go? Um, uh, Instagram for sure, and it, that's at r e n n i r u c c i underscore. Um, everything about me is always posted there. New shows, new dates, uh, personal stuff. You know, that's where you go. And tomorrow. Uh, people got to tune in right to MTV, right? Hundred percent. All right, Chris, go ahead and sum summarize Renee. Ah, oh, well, no problem. Well, there you have it—the biggest of the big uh, uh, rapper, female out of South Carolina, and uh, she's giving us some great information today for young people. 
and about how to how to be successful, you know, in the business. So, wow, thank you for uh, stopping by, Rennie. We appreciate well, thank it. Thank you all for having me. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. Guys, take care. Thank you.